Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning we have with us Cliff Scheip joining us from Southern California, right? Yep, Pasadena. I'm in Southern California too, a little bit further south, boy. I'm a little bit further south. I'm an Orange County boy. You're in the northern part of Southern California, boy. Yep. So uh, Pasadena, wow. You got any little old ladies running around? (laughs) I grew up here. I grew up in a little town called San Marino, which is- Oh, that's a cool town. Yeah, just below Pasadena. And so- Oh, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen it through many phases. That's a cool town. Yeah. That is a cool town. I've driven through there many, many times. oftentimes avoiding the 210 um uh, there was uh, there were some times where some semesters where i had to get off the highway let's let me see if i can remember how i did it um gosh i'm such a and you were head, you were heading to what college well it would have been either it could have been any number of colleges it could have been yeah. it could have been uh la mission college which is in silmar mm-hmm um it's uh, sort of the swanky part of pacoima yeah yeah <laughs> and if you don't know the, 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 you 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 got it you just got to find out at some point um it could have been cal state northridge uh oftentimes i would take the 210 i would take the 57 up i would take the 210 and the 210 goes over the hump what i call the hump uh, you know glenn glendale uh los eagle rock uh, Yes. Uh, well, oh, actually, above that, it would be um, that would be the 134, I think, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The 210 would go yeah, up. up on. Cuts uh, through. La, uh, La Cunata Flint Ridge, I think it's called. Yeah. La Crescenta. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it doesn't look like LA County. It's like, but, but then, then you're in the valley and, um, and uh, of course, Cal State Northridge is in the valley. And sometimes I would be going to Moorpark College even further away. Mm-hmm. Um, but avoiding traffic on the 210, sometimes what I would want to do is I'd want to get over to Pete's Coffee in Pasadena yeah. and right on Lake. And I'm sure yeah. you know that's that. that I, I've, I've written there for years. All the oh, is that right? in this area. They all know me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's famous people there. There's famous people. Um, the, the other one that I go to is on Foothill. And so it depends on if I'm on the highway, I'll hit Foothill. Yeah. That one. And then yeah. if it's bad, then I just take uh, or- orange blossom or whatever that is over to the 210. I, for, it's orange something. Anyway, orange grove. Orange grove. That's like, it. That's blossom. it. It's orange going grow. to, yeah, it's going to toward the Rose Bowl, you know, that one. And, uh, but, um, if you're south of the highway, sorry, this is if you're not interested in uh, Southern California geography, you're going to be tuned out here. But for those weird people that are interested in maps, there's a road that goes, I think it's California Boulevard, actually, that goes parallel to 210. Colo- is it Colorado or California? Yeah. Well, they both do. California is more south where the people are. That's the one I'm is. talking about. That's the yeah. one I'm talking about, California. Yeah. That's where Caltech is, right? Yeah. You go right by yep. Caltech. So I go right on California Boulevard through San Marino, oh. through Pasadena, swanky area. 
and I would hit that Pete's. And sometimes I have to admit, I didn't Winchels eat the donuts. caffeine. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a Winchell's. Yeah. Sometimes I just had to hit the restroom, honestly. Yeah. But one time I was there and the guy from West Wing, the guy that played um, Bradford Whitley, that him, that's him. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. He was trying, he was making the uh, bagel people laugh because he was acting like he was going downstairs when he was just. Yeah. 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 And uh, I thought he looked kind of like a dork, to be honest with you, but, but I I didn't have the guts to go up and ask him, Hey, would you please get a picture with me? But he he was funny. It was kind of cool to see him to be honest with you, but yeah, he looks like funny, but um, that was a while ago. Anyway, um, you have you have written Cliff a book called Cliff Falls, and it's a novel. Here it is. For those listening, you can't see it, obviously, but it's called Cliff Falls. And I thought we would get the Cliff Notes. Oh wow, of of that. But it's a novel about Southern California, Hollywood. And I don't know if I don't want to give too much stuff away, but um how did you come up with that novel <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question you know i have uh, been a long journey and the fact that it's been successful that it's become a bestseller is completely unexpected it started as a screenplay i wrote a tv pilot um i went to usc university of southern california i always thought i'd work at disney like in production and my first job at Disney um, was at Disney Character Voices. And I was working where they do the voices for all the toys, theme parks, all the animated features. And there was a child star that was very popular in the 90s. Out of respect, I don't say his name, but he was the guy that like every girl had the poster on the wall and every guy kind of wanted to be, who's huge. And he was kind of a sad kid. You know, I couldn't get over the difference between. Did you know his him public... personally? I didn't. Okay. There was an executive who would kind of step in for his dad and take him fishing. He would come through the office. But the conversations, he, was, he wasn't a screw up. He was a really, and he still is a great guy. But there was such a difference between his public persona mm. having to be on under the limelight and the reality of his life. And that really stuck with me. I mean, I knew other child stars growing up in Southern California. And I thought, you know, most people don't think they can relate to the life of a child star. But I found myself doing just that. I'm like, this isn't so different than junior high school or how we are, you know, in the workplace of having to play a role, perform. And inside- Even Even as adults even as adults. And how do you reconcile that difference? So I came up with the idea and I wrote a screenplay and it was like early 2000s. It was a TV pilot. And then I got it, you know, a big producer said, this needs to be a movie. And so I turned it into a screenplay and I got it to the president of Walden Media, which was doing, you know, Narnia, Language of Wardrobe, uh, Charlotte's Web. And the first thing he said is, we love it. But all our books are based, all our movies are based on books. Have you thought of it as a book? And I'm like, I am not writing a book. <laughs> it has been years. God has brought me this far. 
what was you this? Know, uh, what year was this that this conversation happened? 2005. Okay. And so the book came I out in home, 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. And I went home and I turned it into a book. And he said it would take me six months. It took several years. Wow. And wow. I did not think it was going to go anywhere. The life of a former child star. And the premises, this character, Clay Grant, when he was 18, he burned down the back lot. I mean, mm-hmm. accidentally, but he burned it down. And, and it's, there's a, he's the child star. He's yeah, the child star. Name name of the child star. Yeah. Yeah, Clay Grant. He's named Clay because you know our essence is Clay. And he took off that night on his 18th birthday, and 15 years later, we catch up with him again. And the tagline is, "What happens when you run into everything you've been running from?" Mm-hmm. And so to jump around just a little bit here. Um, the first edition came out in 2010 and I spent about eight years speaking everywhere. I did not expect the book to take off. I thought maybe if it gets made to a movie, okay. Well, did, I spoke. Did you start everywhere. speaking uh, right away? Was it 2011 or was it basically it was 2010? right away? Really? Thought, yeah. And, and who published it? It was self-published, right? Was it self-published? Great part of the story. It was self-published. Okay. Uh, the Shack had just come out. <laughs> yeah. And they sold 7 million books out of the gate, self-published. Yeah. And I knew several parties were interested in it as a film. Yeah. So I said, who's going to read a first-time author book? I mean, who's going to buy this? So We just, we just all... had Brad on. We had Brad Cummings on. Cummings and a Brad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know Brad. We had him on a couple weeks ago. And uh, that's great. Um and I reached out to Brad a couple of times during that process. And I thought, no one's going to buy this. I need to keep all the rights. So I'll just self-publish. So I self-published on a huge level. My first print run was 5,000 books. And I remember the first time I saw it in the bookstore at Roman's Bookstore in Pasadena. Yeah, Roman's, Roman's. It's still selling out there. That's awesome. Later. It's That's on the an awesome bookstore book right now. Yeah. I'm in four different sections of the same bookstore. Books oh, to change cool. your life section, staff pick. Um, it's just, anyways, they've been great to me. But I, the first moment yeah. I saw the five copies and it said, you know, Cliff Falls by C.B. Scheib. And it was right next to Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. And then I got a real look of concern on my face. Mm. And I'm like, how am I going to sell the other 4,995 <laughs> books that are in my parents' guest house? And, you know, lightning, lightning struck in a bottle. I got, it was selling so well at Romans. The Star News did a big article, the entertainment section, three quarter pages uh, on the page. And then I got a book signing. And then I got another book signing. And then a Christian college heard about me. Then another Christian college. And it exploded. I spoke nonstop for like eight years. Um, oh my gosh. You know, they'd say, you Sounds know, exhausting. <laughs> it, it was fun, but it was exhausting. I wake up. Are you an introvert? Are you an introvert? Oh, you're so lucky. I am, which is you're, very unusual for an author. You're, you're an extrovert. Okay. You're, you're so lucky. So I need to write in a coffee shop. I need to be connected to the land of the living. Oh. I can't be too isolated. Oh, I go crazy. Um, but they told me I needed to go to Kentucky. There's a great college there, Asbury. And they're like, you can fly into Ohio. I'm like, 
Kentucky's by Ohio? I had not a clue. <laughs> right. Southern California kid isolated, you know. And so, but I loved all these schools I visited. I was in East Texas, you know, at um, a great school there. I was all what time, over. What time, do you, what time of year did you go to Asbury? Um, that was the fall. It was. Oh, you were so, that was the yeah. perfect time. Yeah. And I, and they, I spoke at several classes in the entertainment school and they paired me up with like an ambassador, a student. And like, that was the best part. Like I got to know the students. Uh, and so anyhow, uh, the interesting part of the story, well, one of the interesting parts is after these eight years now, I was hearing all these stories of people's lives who had been impacted by this book. I didn't realize that's what I had written, a book to change your life. You're not fully aware when you're writing, creating something. And I'm like, oh, speaking and these people coming after me, coming up to me afterwards saying they have a history of sexual abuse, physical abuse, substance abuse. Hmm. I got an idea so you were like a pastor almost like, yeah, for that yeah. moment. Hmm. Yeah. For that moment. Yeah. And it was, did you make, and you, did you make that connection? Like, Oh, you're now a pastor soon. for this moment. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. Sometimes I'd say oh, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I would say I am the type of counselor who's just listening intently. Mm-hmm. You could always tell who sure. really had been through something mm-hmm. and didn't just want to kind of like, you know, connect for whatever reason, you know, right, um, right, right, right. there was always a reverence there. I spoke last week at, I've spoken at the crystal cathedral before when the hour of power was there. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I spoke last week to the congregation. That's now at a new church. It's called shepherd's grove. But when I was done, this woman came right up to me and she was, she says, I'm 85 years old. And she, she had her hands out and she was holding my hands and she was shaking. And she said, Cliff, I want you to know I've been sober for two years, two years. I drank for almost 68 years of my life. And I finally, finally had the courage to get my life together. Wow. And these are the stories that I hear all the time, right? All the time. Um, To take a little tangent, if that's okay. Um, we were talking about Facebook memories and how that helps us track our life, right? Mm-hmm. Where have I been? Where am I? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I'll get to that in a moment. But thank, thank Facebook, you, Zuckerberg. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you just for that. <laughs> for that, yeah. <laughs> Only for that. Facebook last week, the day I spoke at the, you know, Crystal Cathedral place again. Um, it reminded me that exactly 10 years earlier, I had spoken at the Betty Ford Clinic. Now, of everything I've done, and I've gotten a lot of accolades of it being picked for a book of the year and, you know, one community, one book. I mean, there's a whole list there, right? Nothing meant more to me than this. And the irony that I don't have an addiction background. I've never done a drug. I barely drink. Wow. But something in my book that's not even about addiction, by the way, it's about your yeah. identity okay. as a beloved child of God. Yes. Who you oh, are interesting. Created in the image of God, having value and worth simply by existing. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean God's pleased with how we all live, but you have value right. and worth 
simply by existing. You were created in the image of God. Before we get, you know, people can get political on why they believe in this or that, you have to take a step back. Why is life valuable? Mm. Why? So that's that's the philosophy behind the book. That's the philosophy. And that's why it's in the books to change your life section. And -hmm. there's faith in it, Mm -hmm. but it's not heavy handed. It's always in the mainstream section of the bookstore. There's a quote from Amy Grant on the cover and, you know, other seminary president and Catholic people, but it's a mainstream book. There's not like an agenda, right? I don't like trapia and gotcha and, you know, something cliche. So anyhow, the week before, about four days before I was to speak at the Betty Ford Center, in front of 500 people at the Annenberg Center, in the middle of detox, by the way. Where's the, be- where's the Betty Ford Center? Just it's so in people- R- Rancho Mirage, California. Okay. And it's, it's a treatment place. People go for recovery. Rancho Mirage is in... Palm Springs, basically. Riverside area, yeah. So it's Riverside yeah, just County. just beyond Riverside County. Uh, the Coachella desert. Valley. It's basically desert. desert. Yeah, it's desert. desert. And it's a beautiful facility. Hmm. But about four days beforehand, I was getting a ton of attention. I was on NBC. Um, the Desert Sun did another article. The Long Beach Press did an article. I did another interview on another TV show. And there was something about it that was just making me feel uncomfortable. Um, I knew this talk was coming up. And I didn't want to just give some inspirational talk. I really wanted to connect because people are in that place and you know, that place we've all been in that place where it's one thing to believe in something when you don't need it to be true. It's another when everything is riding on it. So what I did was I went to my local pizza shop that I've been going to since I was a kid and I got a couple slices of pizza and there was a, I don't mean it's patronizing by saying there was a kid there. There's a young man who works there. You know, he's college age. I call them kids. They're, kids. they're my students and I call them yeah. kids. And Anthony, let me tell you about Anthony. Anthony is the guy, the reason do, the pizza. Do you, care, do you care to say the name of the pizza place for people that know? I won't just because of the story, because it's an addiction story for some anonymity. Gotcha. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd right over there. Yep. But Anthony is half the reason that place was popular he's (laughs) all the girls would sit there he's good looking charismatic guy you know the guys would kind of want to be like anthony but he's a humble just great guy and i'm like anthony you haven't been here for a couple of months where have you been and he got kind of bashful shy and he looked down and like he was deciding whether he was going to tell me the truth or not right and he looked up and he said cliff i just got out of the betty ford center I'm like, what? I'm in Pasadena. This is hours away, right? And I'm like, I'm speaking there in three days. And then he asked me this question. He said, Cliff, I just don't get it. I mean, I was using for years. I couldn't go a mile from my house to my mom's house without using. I couldn't go a mile. And to this day, even through recovery, I don't understand how you can do it. And I go, how I can do what? He goes, how do you not hate yourself? I'm like, whoa, how do you not hate yourself? Anthony and I, he wasn't talking about you specifically. He was saying, how can any, anyone, anyone, 
He was talking yeah. about himself. Yeah. Okay. And, and so we sat down and for 90 minutes, I talked to him about the difference between doing something bad and then beginning to believe he himself is bad. Shame. And mm-hmm. shame is the one emotion uh, experts say you can't endure for a long period of time without changing your emotional state. Mm-hmm. It's so, it cuts you off because it's so that you innately are bad. Mm-hmm. You can be angry for a long period of time and kind of hold yourself together, especially us guys, right? You can be sad for a long period of time, but shame, it makes you want to contort yourself. And so much addiction is driven by that. Well, after that conversation, I did something pretty bold. And thank God I listened this time to God speaking to me. I I obeyed the voice I heard. I went home and I ripped up my talk that I had planned. And three days later, they had actors act out scenes from my book. (laughs) And then I got up after they were done. I know that was surreal. And I said, my main character doesn't know the difference between doing something bad and believing he himself is bad. Do you know the difference? I mean, it's a tree we can all hang from. And I stayed in the moment for almost about an hour, going step by step, continuing the conversation with Anthony but God had done something really special. My best friend was like my brother, who's our mutual friend, Jeremy Rivera. He had flown in. And the Annenberg Theater was completely dark, just a spotlight on me. But out of the corner of my eye, I could see Jeremy Rivera in the audience. And he had his arms like this. And every time I said something that landed, he went like that. I basically had a conversation out of boy. Yeah. Yeah. And I basically had a conversation like we would have had on the telephone Mm. with my best friend. And if everything that has happened, you know, that was the most meaningful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you after those eight years of speaking everywhere, I hadn't what most people thought was an irresistible bad idea. (laughs) I knew I was going to come up with a 10 year, anniversary edition just freshen <laughs> it up some new quotes you know mm-hmm. i basically rewrote the whole book and expanded it really yeah it's called the missing pieces edition i can show you a picture of it and look the cover similar just has the symbol on the bottom yeah quote. I, I have the older one yeah the, ori- the original the original and this one has been rewritten and expanded my mom's really? like you, you're gonna rewrite a book that People already bought that was already <laughs> like, yeah, because I knew there was a potential for greater impact. Wow. And I had heard all these stories. And so um, the biggest compliment is people read it and they're like, what was the difference? And I'm like, the whole thing's different. But like, you know, <laughs> um, hopefully it was pretty fluid, yeah. you know, that, that they're so in it that they're not aware of, was this different from this? But right. the week before it was to come out, and Spectrum was going to do a mini documentary on me. And, uh, you know, I was going to have a big book signing of Romans. Um, again. All this, the day before the book signing, Romans called me and said, we have to cancel the bookstore. We're closing down because of COVID. Oh. And I'm like, what? We've come this far and it's all shutting down. 
Well, you know, I had been through, we've, we all go over the falls in life. That's the premise of the book. Yes. That's the premise of the book. And um, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to discover who you are, you know, apart from what you've put your identity in, to discover your value and worth. And it's also an opportunity to move in a new direction. So I said, what can we do? The whole world shut down. I mean, book sales thrive on book talks, people gathering, book clubs, right? I'd done every book club in Southern California. And so I got the idea, let's do an audiobook. So when I do something, I try to do it, you know, I try to go big and, you know, really have some integrity with it. So I had the wisdom not to do the voice. I had done a little acting in my 20s, in my youth. I could have pulled it off, but I recognized right away an audiobook. That's a special gift. You need to be fully aware of who is speaking, what character, the narrator, the other character. So I had listened for the two years prior to different voices. And because it's about a former child star, I had looked at Fred Savage, Will Wheaton, you know, all my favorite child stars. I thought, oh, that's a great way to sell an audiobook. Let's get a child star. There was only one voice that I knew was the voice. And his name is Santino Fontana. And I'm like, he's expensive. He does Stephen King. Um, uh, he, oh, he was in a little movie called Frozen. He was the bad prince in Frozen. He had just won a Tony on Broadway for Tootsie. Like he had just won the Tony. Wow. And I'm like, how are we going to do this? You're, you're catching him so, at it, the height of his, uh, his negotiating power. Yeah, well, you would think, but then I had this ace up my sleeve. You could always say, COVID. Who, well, who's Tony? Who was Tony? <laughs> who's Tony? Who's what? what? Okay. You got well, Tony. Tony gave you an award. Who's Tony? <laughs> well, I looked on, and he's actually in a Hallmark movie on Saturday. They, they made a whole movie for him because he sings so brilliantly. Um, this Saturday, he's going to be in it, and he's in a, another thing, The Fabulous Miss Maisel or something right now. I mean, he's he's one of our greatest talents. They and, fired Dustin Hoffman? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Dustin didn't do it on Broadway. But uh, so I looked on Instagram, and Broadway was also shut down because of COVID. So he was with his wife and his newborn daughter. I mean, I think she was like five in a little family cabin in Maine, isolated, waiting it out. And they were doing a puzzle. And I'm like, if he can do a puzzle in Maine, he can do Cliff Falls. <laughs> so, so I reached out to him through his agent and he insisted as great artists do to read the book first. Mm -hmm. And he did and he loved it. He goes, I'll do it. And what I paid him was far oh, less. Oh, that's cool. Well, got nominated for best audiobook of the year that's awesome i'm in the category with joel osteen beth moore and reverend run from run dmc i'm like who saw this coming right wow <laughs> wow and i got nominated as the producer and wonderful as that is i mean we even had i had to have 40 seconds of music for the beginning for the intro Mm -hmm. And through a friend of a friend of a friend, I found a composer who worked for Martin Scorsese and he had done, you know, some really well-known movies. And I'm like, I need 40 seconds of music in a week. I only got a thousand dollars and I need to own the music. He's like, okay. I'm like, 
and he insisted on reading the book prior to doing it. And he does this little 40 seconds where it tells the whole story in these 40 seconds. Mark Killian, he's brilliant. So there are always opportunities to move forward. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, man. So I love that you insisted on ownership. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. You know, that's a theme. That's a theme of this uh, because I've noticed. Okay. um, I don't know any, I don't notice anybody else's name on here for the publisher. So it's not, it's not random house. It's not, uh, you know, Simon and Schuster. Schuster. It's not Knopfed or whatever. There are two ways of of looking at the owner. And I still could have gone with the publisher later. But you don't need to now once it's selling really well, because I have eBooks. I have the physical book through Amazon, which is the bulk. I'm in the independent bookstores. Um, got the audio book. You know, if you can cover distribution, and I really did the production value of this. I mean, I had a designer because I'd worked at Disney, so I really created a brand. I made the person who designed the typesetting really love typesetting, as opposed to just the the designer who did the cover who was a whole separate gift. That's a photo illustration. It's a place in this town of Cliff Falls that's imaginary, but based mm-hmm. on another place. Um, so the ownership issue, and listen, your audience can relate to me. On one side, it's because I'm Lebanese and you know all my family, whether they were successful or not, had a little store or their own you know, apple cart, whatever it may be. You know, <laughs> They always kind of betted on themselves. But the reason they bet on themselves is because sometimes there weren't the opportunities. You're not waiting for someone to pick you on a baseball team, right? Right. And I could have gone with one publisher, but I was like, oh, what are they going to I'm going to get a bad deal. I'm a first-time author. I don't have leverage. Mm-hmm. No one's ever, I've never written a book and no one's ever bought it. Right. So let me bet on myself. Hmm. And... How, uh, tell tell us about did that you must have had enormous belief in yourself or was it something else i had belief that god was going to use me in some way okay to impact people who were going through something and you were confident about that confident i still am to this day how, how did I you knew- get that what what how, were you born with that did you come out of your mama's womb like that my mom is like that. Okay. My dad is too, but my mom is really like that. And I was raised with this sense of belief that our lives are not our own. It wasn't a narcissistic endeavor, even though it says Cliff Falls by CB Shipe by Cliff Falls Media, you know, it wasn't look at me. Um, it was our life is not our own. Whether you're successful in the world's eyes or not. Uh, God is up to something else. And let's be a good steward of the gifts that he gave you. It's a stewardship issue. I always had some gift that we all knew about, about connecting with people since I was a kid. And I could write. I loved writing, but I never really read novels when I was younger. I read nonfiction. And so I didn't know if I was real qualified. But because I didn't know, uh, 
it's very original. It's unlike other books. Most people's first novels are, oh, that's kind of a version of The Shack, or that's kind of a new invention of A Christmas Carol, or that's kind of, mine was completely. Yeah, how people talk, like it's a mix of this and that, and you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I never think, can think, answer that question. Think, <laughs> think uh, 21 Jump Street and Growing Pains. Yeah, yeah, meets, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Wait, by an angel. yeah yeah it meets ncis which you is you know yeah. and then aliens what <laughs> yeah what's going on so um, so yours again, is to... yours was original because yeah what did you major in in college i was an english major i went to usc and i was in business your english is very good thank you seriously I could, those people at usc did a fantastic job on you oh gosh i swear usc <laughs> everyone all my friends are like because usc is so esteemed right now it's so hard to get into you know we have the best college we're, you know it's so hard to get into i'm like that doesn't reflect us it wasn't that hard to get into when we went there those are the new students <laughs> you know <laughs> where i come from it's like oh you didn't get into stanford or uh, duke with SC, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but I enjoyed my time there. It, um, but I made the switch from being a business major. I'm like, I already have an entrepreneurial sense. I'm Lebanese. That's just in our blood. Okay. And, uh, are your parents from Lebanon? No, I'm actually fourth generation, Really? but I'm a hundred percent Lebanese. Wow. And they all came because of religious persecution. They were killing the Christians at the turn of the century. And they came to Massachusetts where I was born. I was there until I was about four. I wish they would have kept going because, you know, my parents, you know, they left all their wealth, my great grandparents and all my relatives in Lebanon, and they had to work in the textile mills. So they worked all the mills. I'm from Lawrence, Massachusetts, which still gets voted as like one of the worst cities in the country. But I love it. I love it. I'd spend all my summers in Lawrence in my grandmother's tenement house, you know? with the laundry out the window and uh, you know, my friends from San Marino, which San Marino is the most blue blood. I was like ethnic for San Marino, like father of the bride. The movie was based here. Yep. Right. They'd be like, yep. Oh, you're in Massachusetts. Did you go to the vineyard? Did you go to, you know, Nantucket? I'm like, Nantucket, Martha's vineyard. I was, <laughs> you know, I was in Lawrence. <laughs> Try Southie except for Lebanon. <laughs> Like the Wahlbergs, I talked to one of them once. I'm like, where you're from is classy. Please don't. don't oh, yeah. Don't yeah tell yeah. me you have street. That's friends. hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I have some of that. Me, And my dad moved us to California. And that sense of the California dream that you can, what I love about the West, mm-hmm. the good parts. Yeah. Um, is you can come here. The class system isn't so set. Yes. Any, anybody can make money. Anybody can try something. It doesn't matter who, what family you're from, what you've done, haven't done, you can come here and do something, you know? And, and, and if you're weird, then people can't quite tell, wait, is that cool? Is that cool or <laughs> not? Any, any other place, they'd be like, no, you're just weird. You're just a weirdo. You're just a weirdo. With those shoes, it's, you're weird. But here it's like, wait, am I missing something? Is this the new thing? There was this blonde woman who always just wore pink and Angelique or something was her name. And she, she drove a pink Corvette and she would rent billboards with her image on it and just drive around LA. I'm like, she, even as a little kid, I'm like, what does she do for a living? How does she make her money? <laughs> like, how is that? You know, See, there's the, the business no- person in you. Yeah. You're like, I want to know the numbers. I know. I want to know the background there. 
say this, kind of a link here in the conversation about narcissism, right? We live in such a narcissistic culture. And even colleges, universities, they used to teach virtue, values. And now it's- That was a long time ago. Long time ago. Now it's like, how can I get this degree to achieve my dream to serve myself? You know, and in our pain, what we go through in life, we can also be narcissistic. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we go over the falls in life, and I've spoken to people who have been through so much, and I've heard stories that are as gritty as you can imagine. And I've gone through my own. I was sick in my 20s. That's a whole nother conversation. That's probably the only reason I actually wrote the book. I was isolated for a few years. When you say um, sick, when yeah. you say sick, you don't mean you had a cough, a dry no. cough, and you had to wear a mask for like, no. you, you mean something much deeper. Yeah, I was 26 years old. I was working at Disney, and I had a small bit part on Days of Our Lives with a French accent. And I had my apartment and my you knew Roman and Pope. I worked with Marlene every day. She was possessed by the devil at that point. Wow. It was a terrible story. I only know the I only know the screen names. I don't know any. And I'm I just because really, when I was a kid, you know, it was yeah. on something. Well, because all our moms and sisters were devoted to some soap opera and I come home from school yeah. and my mom and sister watched General Hospital. So when I got the part on Days of Our Lives, I'm like, Mom, I don't know the show. She's like, it's the same thing. There's a Greek family. There's a rich family. Instead of Luke and Laura, it's Bo and Hope. I'm like, oh my gosh, it is the same Oh, Bo. Yeah, that was the other guy, Bo. But I wasn't an important character. I just had a little French accent and I did a little bit things. But I had my own apartment. It was a whole life I had. Hmm. And I started getting fevers and I couldn't figure it out. And I ended up having to move home in the bedroom that I grew up in. Hmm. And it was a seven-year deal. Seven years, seven years, seven years. And I saw 70 doctors in the first seven years. Guidepost has done two articles on it. Um, I was keeping it all kind of private, like when the book came out. But then one big newspaper said, you know, illness inspires debut novel. And so then I'm getting contacted from people who have chronic illnesses Mm -hmm. all over the world. And uh, again, they just want to be heard. They don't want medical advice. They may say they do. Definitely not. They just want to talk to somebody who knows what it's like to be in that place. Yes. And when you've seen 70 doctors, the last thing you want is another person telling you what they think it is. Exactly. So I never figured out what the causing agent was. Mm -hmm. It was some kind of virus, Mm -hmm. but the way to heal it was an autoimmune thing that was attacking my whole body. I had to do seven years in, I did a water only fast at Cedars Sinai Hospital for 10 days. And they said, you know, the only thing that they tried everything to kill the bacteria that had built up in my system, um, pre-digested food, uh, um, antibiotics, high doses, nothing was working. Hmm. And finally, I said to the doctor at the research place, I said, well, what will work? He goes, well, a water only fast, you know, but that would have to be like 10, 11 days. And I'm like, okay. He's like, okay done i was so desperate to be healed at that point i would have done anything wow you're thinking jesus jesus did it for 40 days okay exactly that's what i said to him percent of that yeah i said like lent where i only have to do it for three days (laughs) you know you just did for 40 it's less 
What was the suffering like during those years? it was physical and it was psychological it was i lost i was always kind of respected and cliff's a go-getter and people like Mm -hmm. we know you're sick but is he really sick does he not want to work is he just kind of chronic invisible it was invisible illness yeah so people were i didn't have a name i couldn't say i always wanted a name let me just say i have cancer god forbid or leukemia i can point to it and yes. I'll either die or not, but people will gather. Yeah. So I lost so all my relationships. So it's all in your head. Okay. So people were I lost wondering all my friendships. Just lazy. Okay. And they're moving on with their life. Oh, jeez. They're getting the first condo, the kids. So all those people who meant so much to me mm. were out of my life. Now, God will put new people in your life. When the door shuts, you know, he'll open a window. But sometimes there's a moment in between where you're in that empty hallway did you feel okay. that right away? Did you, how long oh, did it take yeah. for more new people to come in? You know what? That's a separate great story. But by the end of the nineties, I had not been out of my house. I had not gone anywhere. The doctors are like, don't travel. Don't. Hmm. And there's an author that I love. If you've heard of Brennan Manning. Um, Heck yeah. I've heard of Brennan Manning. Well, he was speaking in Hawaii and I flew to Hawaii. Ragam- just Ragamuffin. To yeah. Yeah. And I met him. I've met him twice now. And he's, he's since passed. But mm-hmm. I met this kid at that conference who was kind of annoying because he was so cocky and confident. <laughs> Wait, and what, like, part, what part of Hawaii was this? This was Honolulu. And it was the HIM conference. And this kind of arrogant guy I think I know who is, you're talking about. is our mutual friend, <laughs> Jeremy Rivera. <laughs> I met him in Hawaii too. Uh huh. And actually, we went to high school together. And then I saw him in Hawaii, and I was like, "What? You live here? That's cool." My best friend. We connected so much, never thinking we'd see each other again. I stayed like another week, and he was starting a ministry. And I'm like, "Well, I've done some ministry work. I can help you with that." How Um, long had you been sick at that time? It had been several years. It had been three. And you were able to get on a plane and stuff? Well, I got on a plane, but I mean, I ended up at the hospital. (laughs) Queen of Angels. Oh, yeah. Wait, hold on. So you got off the plane and went to the hospital? Uh, No, I faked that I was. I'm like, this is better. If you're going to be sick, you might as well be in Hawaii. I didn't want to tell anybody. And Mm -hmm. what they realized is I would get these fevers because the bacteria was in my whole system. And the fevers were were trying to kill. Mm. So desperate. You were so desperate. God honored that. Mm -hmm. God honored that. All the friends. That I had. Oh yes, Jeremy party, loved Jeremy loved uh, Brennan Manning. In fact, I only know about him through Jeremy. Yeah, and I I wouldn't have known about Rich Mullins either because I yeah I I just didn't I I wasn't interested in popular culture that much. But well, I will tell you, as incredible as Brennan was, and Brennan said some things to me that just put everything in perspective about how we share in the suffering of Christ, hmm. and that's part of the story. We always, you know, I say this. We always say we want to be Christ-like if you're a Christian, but you don't really take into account the road he walked. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the story. It's not the whole story, but walking through seasons of suffering is part of it. Fe- the feeling of being forsaken. We're not actually forsaken, but feeling like we're forsaken. Yes. That's when we need to understand our identity as a beloved child of God. That's why this book is so, I still why struggle. I, I still it. struggle with that. I'll be, so? on, I'll be honest with you. I still struggle with that. 
Um, the feeling of, of being alone, the feeling of, um, uh, that God has forgotten about you, that you're on a mission, but you're cut off from comms and <laughs> the base doesn't know where you are and, and just has forgotten they're doing other stuff. They're playing checkers. Uh, I know it's a military metaphor, so it's a little bit, That's inept, good. but, but, uh, um, yeah. That's no, good. Yeah. I was in the military, so so for seven one. years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Incredible. And um <clears throat> yeah, so so if you if you struggle with that as somebody mm-hmm. who has a healthy sense of belief and faith, right? I mean you've <laughs> you do yeah. reflect that. That's right. Yeah. Can you imagine what people who don't know God? think about themselves and why I don't even get into the weeds anymore when people ask me some of the political questions about <laughs> gender identity or about, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, without God, How people do you are going to grasp at anything. Yeah. You're going to grasp, you know, a starving man will eat out of a trash can, right? So I don't work from the outside in anymore. Right. I just try to start from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And we will all, as I said earlier, we will all create in God's image. Whether we acknowledge him or not, doesn't mean our lives are pleasing. I'm not saying everybody goes to heaven. But you right. have value and worth apart from what you do, good or bad. And the way you can know if something is from God or not, something you hear about yourself, there's an easy test because every lie has a little truth, right? <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't swallow it. Yeah. But if it's without redemption, it's not of God, even if there's some truth there. No matter what you've done, if it doesn't have, but go and sin no more, but you are my beloved child, but you are, if there's not hope there, it's not of God. God is redeeming this whole world to himself, making it whole. And without getting too spiritual, the enemy really wants the creation to turn on itself and self-destruct, shame. And that's my view. That's what I've come up with after all these years of speaking. And I have heard stories of sexual abuse between a daughter and her father. I mean, stuff that would just make your stomach turn. And We're here on this earth for a reason. So how would you define shame? It's what I said earlier. Shame is not that you did something bad. It's that you yourself are bad. You, you're, you're innately bad. So um, I, th- I think that Christians are particularly vulnerable to that because the shame because culture. of, Literally. yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and some cultures have the honor shame stuff. I mean, the Middle yeah. East, for example. I mean, you would come right Lebanese. out. Of yeah. That. But I think it's common in a lot of cultures, actually. Um, but I, I was thinking of the doctrine of sin. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 feeling that you you can't reach God on your own. Um, so how do you deal with that? How do you process that? Well, 
to me, the whole premise, the falls in this book are a symbol of God. And they're kind of hard to find. They're up in the mountains and people get lost all the time. And, mm-hmm. and my main character keeps saying, you know, are they really real? If he ever discovers them, are they going to be like, you know, trickling little something? You know, mm-hmm. are these falls really real? Right? We're going to be disappointed. When God shows up, there's no question it's God. So when God showed up in my life during the sickness, it was no question it was him. When I did that fast, I was instantly healthy. Instantly. Is that where you would say God showed up was in the hospital during that fast? (sighs) He showed up several times. One, when I was driving in the rain and I was staying at this house and I thought I was driving into this whole in Northern California, this whole valley. And I was so mad. And I just kept saying, God, okay, you didn't promise that the girlfriend would be there or the friend or the job or my health. But you know what you promised? You promised green pastures and still waters. Where are my green pastures? Peace. I have no peace. I ended up at this house. It was El Nino. It was pouring rain, could not see. They, yeah, I was staying there just for a little bit and they scored me to the room and I fell asleep. And all I kept thinking was, as I was going to sleep, how did I end up here? Me, Mr. Capable, self-starter. Always like the good kid, right? Didn't do a drug, didn't really drink. And how did I end up here? The next morning I felt some sun on my face and I opened the shade and I hadn't been driving down. I was driving up, ascending, I didn't realize it. And I was in Northern California on the side of a hill and out my window for as far as you can see were green pastures. And it was like God said, you want green pastures? They're your green pastures. Who do you trust? Do you still trust me? This is where you get off the train and go, I don't trust anymore. So when you have a real need, you need a real God. So God showed up many times in that way. Mm. And each time you knew this was God. Yes. Yes. Because there's such a drought period and you try everything else, you know, it was was self-authenticating. It was a self-authenticating experience. Yeah. I always tell people like when they're doing yoga and stuff, I'm like, yoga will get you so far, but when you have a real problem, you know, (laughs) you're going to need, you know, a $38 candle, soy candle and a yoga mat ain't going to solve it. You know, (laughs) you know, the universe, you can call it to the universe. Go ahead. You know, and I respect people where their walk. I don't want to disparage anything, but no, but, but I love person. No, it's effective. No person. Toe ever cried out for the universe. <laughs> they cried out for their mother and she had a name. And so knowing where your hope comes from. And to right. answer your question more directly, how does that happen of working our way to God? It doesn't. God comes down to us. He comes down to us. He enters our isolation that no one else can enter. He enters our pain. He enters our fear and he, he says, I'm with you. Joni Erickson Tata. Do you know Joni? She, uh, she's a paraplegic. Yeah. Yeah. But of her, she's paraplegic. At that same conference with Brendan Manning, she was there and she talked about the suffering and she said she wasted years wanting answers why the suffering was happening. You know, thinking that the the answers were going to comfort her. 
She says, but two in the morning when your vertebrae is crushing and you don't have enough breath to call for help, answers don't help you. And Christ offers something more than answers. He offers himself. He's with you. And apart from that friend, Jeremy, that, you know, God brought into my life of all his wisdom and all that, he was the friend who just sat me, sat in the ugliness with me. He said to me, he goes, Cliff, you know what? I finally realized you're not a problem that needs to be solved. You're just Cliff. And you're going to get to the other side of it one way or another. But I'm not going to treat you as a problem that needs to be solved. So when we go things in life, we lose our humanity sometimes by the way people treat us. That we we are, you know, have to figure out this Rubik's Cube and then we can, <laughs> you know, join the land of the living. So... I'm sorry, there's a gardener, if, if you hear anything. Tell, him, <laughs> tell him to get out. You don't understand. This is my I'm book. talking about being this a beloved child of Christ. Book. Okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm talking trying about to sell a book here. Yeah, yeah. Move a little bit. He won a Tony, the guy that said the, <laughs> the words. He won audio a book. Do you even know what a Tony is? Get out. <laughs> get out. Get out. So what you, I will... You've yeah. been through the ringer. Um, and I think that that comes through. You have life experience that's behind this book and behind your writing. Um, and I wonder, um, I mean, it is, it's refreshing that you're not jaded and that you, and you're, you're exactly the same as I remember you, what, like 10 years ago, 11, years, 11 ago. years ago, I think it was. Yeah. I yeah. think I saw you. I, I think I met you first at Laguna Beach Books. I want to say yeah. it's off PCH. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to say it was 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found the picture. It was 2011, yeah. February 20 something. Yeah. Beautiful day. That, and, and, and the way that I remember you from that day was the same as you are now. You're the same guy. And it's hard for me to picture you being sick and um, in that debilitated state. And, and, and I feel like I have an appreciation for the, uh, the emotional pain that you went through when you lost your friends and when, when people would judge you about without really understanding Maybe they couldn't handle it. Maybe it made them feel so vulnerable. Yeah. Maybe their own vulnerability freaks them out. Yeah. Like they can't take credit for their own health. Yeah. And we all want some kind of control. And I had to, I forgave all those people. And a mm. couple of people are back in my life in some form. Okay. You know, you, you cannot, if you want to get well, and I'm saying, well, emotionally well, because you yes. don't know. Sickness can go different ways. And sometimes the story ends restoration and sometimes it doesn't, but you do have control over your spirit and your emotions. Mm -hmm. um, one, I have to leave you with this one story because it's very funny, but it's very telling. In the middle of this isolation, when my whole life are doctor appointments, I'm so weak. I, my days are mostly in bed. My mom, who is just the symbol of belief, right? I hear her in the hallway and she's, she opens the door. I'm like, what? I'm irritable, right? 
And she goes, surprise. And she has a cake with candles and streamers. And I'm like, what is this? It's not my birthday. She goes, you don't know what today is? I go, what's today? I'm so irritable, right? Oi, I would have been a great Jew. Oi. Everything <laughs> was like, Lord, that was good. Why have you done this to me? She goes, well, I'll tell you what today is. Today's your pity party. I'm like, what? She goes, for the next hour, we're going to have some cake. And we're going to talk about what a raw deal this is. Hmm. How you were the good friend. You were there through everybody's family drama and illness and, and how they abandoned you how their lives are moving on, how it's not fair. And after that hour, I'm going to kick you in the butt and we're going to start working the problem. Hmm. And I will tell you, that was one of the best things that happened to me because so many people will not move on until someone in the land of the living acknowledges what has happened. That it happened, that it was wrong, and that it mattered. All three of those, it happened, it was wrong, and it mattered. And your mom had the presence, had the maturity to understand that's what you needed? Exactly. Wow, that's an incredible mom. She she is. I would not be here today. I dedicate the book to her. Was, she, what, she, was the cake good? <laughs> the cake was fantastic. Did she make it? <laughs> no, no. Oh. She, you know, she's a great cook. She went and got an old school cake with real yeah. buttercream no you corn know syrup no corn no, syrup exactly give you a nice good sugar headache oh and, man that's cool and and i'm sitting there it's not fair it's rotten i had to take down pictures and frames of all my friends it was like i had died but i was still there it was so surreal that's a whole nother conversation about yeah you know giving up your I had a recurring dream. I probably had 30, 40 times that I would go back wow. to my old apartment. And I will end on this to wrap it up. I think this does good for you. Um, kind of bookends it. Um, when I left my apartment, they said I was going to be sick for 10 years. And so I'm like, there's no way. So we just pack things up in boxes with newspaper. And I remember the newspaper from 1996, the movies in the calendar section and all this. And, and over the years, all that stuff got given away. Everything I owned, the plates, the toaster, right? So during those years, I had a recurring dream that I went back to the apartment. I would walk back in, it'd be covered in cobwebs, and my neighbors would come out and they'd be like, you finally came back. You finally came back. We've been waiting for you to come back. And I'd wake up, right? So two parts of the story. One, I was invited to a Christmas party once the book was out and I'm all restored and healthy. And I was still kind of isolated, but I said I'd go. And it happened to be across the street from my old apartment. And I parked there and it was all decorated for Christmas. And there was a kid outside doing Christmas decorations. I go, those are really good. You know, you know I used to live here like 15 years ago. He goes, really? I go, yeah, in that apartment right up there, the one with the fireplace. He goes, that's my apartment. Do you want to see it? Oh, cool. And I'm like, yeah. I went up there and I finally came back. Uh... I stepped into that room and I 
where my little refrigerator had been and my fireplace. Over the fireplace, there's this little gold emblem still there. Was it a real fireplace? Real fireplace. And my girlfriend at the time had bought this thing from the Bombay company or something and nailed it there and it was still there. Wow. And I never had that dream again. And then just last year, this is the last part of the story, wraps it up. My parents called me and said, you're going to come by the house. Your dad found a box and it's yours. He found it in the attic. And I'm like, we have an attic? I don't know we have an attic. It's more of a crawl space. And I'm like, I gave everything away. It can't be mine. She goes, it says Cliff's box and it's yours. And given everything that's happened, we thought you should open it. So I drove all the way home from Orange County where I was. And I opened that box. And the first thing I see is the newspaper with the date, April 1996, whatever it was. And inside was a manger I had bought, a Christmas nativity. And it was literally the last thing that was left of everything I owned all those years of the old life that had been taken away. It was the only thing that remained, Lucas. And what gave me chills was I looked at the newspaper it was wrapped in. It was the book section from the LA Times. I wasn't an author back then. I never planned on writing a book. Not two blocks away from that apartment is Roman's Bookstore, where I became a bestseller first. Wow. And I'm like, I knew the end from the beginning, the beginning from an end. Not that success is the prize for what you go through. God's presence and being with you, that's the healing. It's the connection to people. But God's still saying, do you still trust me? Who do you trust? Mm-hmm. Don't give up yet. So, Do you mind if we ask you, you want. just about the writing process? I think if people would be interested in maybe there's somebody out there that's listening and, and feels the prompting just from that story of writing. They want to write maybe. And and so what's a day look like for you? What, what are you a late guy? Are you an early morning? I'm a morning. I'm up every morning. Do you drink coffee? I drink way too much coffee. 445. Yeah. And they can check me in the Betty Ford and it makes no sense. I, I live in Pasadena and I get in my car at 445 and I drive to Santa Monica. And in that stillness, I hear ideas and thoughts every morning. Why do you drive to Santa Monica? And gas is 11 bucks a because everybody in the coffee shops and the little restaurants know me and they let me in early. And in that stillness, I do my best writing for three or four hours. I have a gym membership over there because when I'm done writing after three, four hours, I don't want to be introspective anymore. I want to feel like a guy again and lift things. And then I come back and I still write later in the day, but it's a different kind of writing than what I do in the morning. The magic Mm -hmm. happens in the morning for me. I'm not a late person. You're in the car at 445? Mm-hmm. Wow. By, so by 4.50, I wake up at 4.45, roll out, boom, go. You know, the Pete's Coffee off of Maine in Santa Monica. <clears throat> it's right I'm next there. to Earth Cafe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that that area I used to pop in there all the time uh, on and the I way to Pepperdine. Because I was going yeah. from LMU to Pepperdine, and that would be right in the middle. And I spent right a, lot the time middle. At the, a lot of time at the Pete's on Montana. Yep. And... But what I will say to your listeners is mm-hmm. you got to get out of your head and it's much more important to discover your own voice 
And the best thing that ever happened to me is I was a junior or sophomore in high school and our teacher made us journal every over 10 minutes stream of conscious and get out of your head, just get into that place. Most people are constipated writers. It's like an old faucet, an old house <laughs> that it's like rusty waters coming out and the pipes yeah. are shaking. Yeah. You got to get to the floor where it's clean, get the flow going. So don't worry uh, about good. being profound. Don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about spelling. Who cares? Just write. Your voice will emerge. Also, don't judge your writing. Don't judge it. Just write. You need to create rich fabric before you cut a shirt or a suit out of it. So I am unlike some other writers. There are two kinds of writers in my mind. Mm-hmm. Some love to do an outline. And then they execute the outline and this is what I'm doing. And I hate that. It's easier, but it's when you're inside of it that you discover the gold. The follow-up book, I thought was something completely different than what I stumbled upon. And I never would have gotten, the rest was really good, but it wasn't great. It wasn't the gold. Mm. What I discovered being in the story, I'm like, this is the story. Hopefully that will come out next and that's Here. it. That's an inter. That's an inner voice that you have. That, or is it an editor, an external voice that says, "This is the gold." How do you know? No. What the gold, how do you know no. what the gold is? It's the same way you know it in a relationship. When you're dating somebody or with somebody, and you're having a conversation, and you feel that connection, you're like, "Oh, this is the gold. God dwells here. This is having residence. This is stay here." You discover it. It's it's that's why like the faith, the incarnation is everything to me. But the God, you know, that's a theme. Mad. He, he, it's a theme. That's a theme he dwells. He dwells among us. He's with us. He likes us. Wait, so he you're a Christian? I know. I'm like people <laughs> are like. Well, what are you? You were because I was Lebanese. I was in the Melkite Church, which is like Orthodox, but the Melkites are full union with the catholic church so when i finally went to a catholic church i'm like who are all these irish people with words the incense <laughs> and, the, and the icon but mm-hmm. i spent most of my teenage years and 20s in the protestant church mm-hmm. you know i'm like i'm like a catholic protestant i i believe in grace i just feel guilty about it so, <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm a hybrid you know yeah, yeah. Apostles, what you name it Sorry for these random questions, but oh, what, kind of co- what kind of coffee do you, do you like it black or do you get an espresso? What do you get? I have a go-to latte with almond milk. So a latte mm. with almond milk. And in Pasadena, yes. there's a great place called Jones Coffee. And I went to high school with him. And, All right. uh, Let me write he's got it down. Like, yeah, he has four I'm locations. going there. I'm going yeah. there. Yeah. Tell the me, two, tell me what it is. Jones? Jones. Jones Coffee. And there are a couple of locations. It's not some guy's garage, is it? It's not some garages in San Marino. I'm not going to get jumped. You're not going to get jumped. Because, you know, San Marino, there's a lot of gangs. Oh, it's it's a ghetto, (laughs) all right. It's a white ghetto. (laughs) Jones. Jones Coffee in, is it Pasadena? Pasadena. They've got like four locations, but the original one on Raymond is the one to go to, I think. Raymond, original coffee. Okay. Yeah. There's also a place Copa Villa in Pasadena that's worth going to. And then I've got like 10 places on the West side, Cafe Lux and, you know, Cafe Lux is the one on the West side, Santa Monica and Brentwood. But yeah, I love 
and I can get carried away because those lattes have two shots of espresso in them. And there are some days when I'm really writing that I've done three in the same day and you know, it's not good. Do you ever get there? Do you ever do all that driving and then you get there and you can't get it out? You can't get the writing out. And that's normal. Do do you get, do you get discouraged? But I still stay in it. Okay. I still stay in it. And that may be, you go through the motions. I go through the motions and that day I may think, okay, I have to answer a different question. I have to get analytical again. Cause the best writing happens when you're not analytical. It's when you're in it. Right. Malcolm Gladwell once said that he doesn't eat much in the morning. He just has like a little cappuccino. Do you stay away from food or do you eat something? Yeah. I have like, I have like a banana. I, I try to stay away from carbs, but I love a good scone. One of these places that makes some great scones. And I just like a little bit coffee with just a little bit of something nurturing Mm because you're writing things that are nurturing. Right. Ooh. Yeah. And like when you walk in, you, they know you. They're like Cliff yeah. and they have your drink ready for you. They go, almond latte. We got it, Cliff. We got your latte. <laughs> oh, the scones will be in, in 20 minutes. They're coming also, from the bakery. Also very important. Do they have restrooms, these places? Absolutely. That's the, you other have to. I, that's the other reason I go there. Yes. You know, so, and there's this little community. Sometimes I need to leave. There a is. Shop. I know exactly what you mean because of all my professoring. And I, I get to know the people too well, the people who go there. And then I don't get any work done because there's just something yep. Look, we all have a purpose on this earth and God's all wired us. There's something about me that people like to tell their stories to. Hmm. Sometimes I think I'm being standoffish and, you know, I mean, right. I went to the dermatologist and she started telling me how she's never told anybody this, but she was married once. And then she, she left the guy the next day and moved to LA. And that was 16 years ago. I'm like sitting here and she's, Popping things and like, oh, really? I didn't say two words. Right. But there's something about me that people tell me their stories. And so I got to get work done. So, like, sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to say some people, like, in these areas, like, people are going to be listening to this. They're not in LA. They don't know what we're, they can't visualize what we're talking about. So, to try to put some flesh on this, um, just picture like when you're driving, there's not much traffic. So that's when I prefer to be moving through these areas too, is a, yeah. um, off on the off margins of traffic. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is typically the same people for the most part. I mean, it's, there's pe- different people that pop in obviously, but yeah. Um, and you, you yourself pop into different locations, but yeah, but um, there you are never people know who that, you're going to, yeah, there, there are people who are like, I, I don't know if they ever do work. But you're a real writer, so you do. Is there a second book happening? Happening? Do you think? Do you want to say That's the one that I'm working every day on? So my hope it will be out hopefully next year. I'm hoping to have the draft, the really solid draft, by like August. I've been working on that nonstop, and that to me is like it's a minor character, one of the most popular characters from Cliff Falls, his character mm-hmm. Diego, but it's a prequel. It's how he came to Cliff Falls. And wow, it's really, thank you. It takes the themes of suffering and working through that suffering and finding meaning, purpose, and identity. I mean, there's been, you know, this has been a lot of talk about how every human needs to, you know, ask questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. Are you a brutal and, editor for yourself? Do you, do you insist on cutting a lot? 
Or yeah, well, how do I'm you a do very that? concise writer. I don't like flowery. Yes, you are. Unless it has a purpose. Unless this was like twice the size and an editor said, let's cut this out. But you're your own editor, right? So, yeah. So, like, there are editors I use. Right. I'm lucky that one of my editors has always said, she'll say, I don't really think this goes, but keep it or put it aside because if you really believe in it, there's a reason. It's just not flushed out yet. And so there's some gold in there that was going to be cut, but I kept it because it just wasn't connected yet to what I was trying to develop since I write in such an organic way and not in a structural yeah. way. How, how um, does one get a, an editor? Hey, you know what? What I did, the fact that I get literary reviews that are fantastic <laughs> blow me away. I mean, like, I would not have been the person people bet on to having the book, right? Mm -hmm. I cared about, I wanted to show it to people who just really love to read and loved a good book, mm -hmm. right? People who are in book clubs. And then at Pepperdine, a really good friend, and she's become like family. She teaches screenwriting and writing at Pepperdine. And for years, she was the editor of the business journal, um, Nancy Dodd. And she, Nancy Dodd, okay. Nancy Dodd. And she is wonderful. And she never, some of these people, when they write, they give it to a, like a development person who like, they re make creative choices, which Nancy never does. Yeah. yeah. So all Creat that writing Creative is choices, writing. not so much. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because um, otherwise they'll take what you have and go, well, it needs to be this. And you become a reactionary writer. So it becomes more romance or this or that. I love that term. Out. Yeah, you don't want to be a reactionary writer. Uh, I love that term. Yeah. And don't ask yourself whether it's good or bad. It's like jello. You know, you do the whole mix thing, you throw it in, you put it in the fridge, and three days later, oh, it's good. Looks appealing. You know, it's got form and body. It's just like jello. Seriously, you got to put it aside. When you write, don't have any judgment. Don't judge. I wrote it. You put it aside. You come back with fresh eyes. You're like, oh, here's the gold. Those lines, that stuff. The other stuff's good, but this stuff I'm going to build on. Do not judge it when you're writing it. How much of this is you read a lot of writing books or how much nothing. of this is I read USC? Nothing. Oh, really? It's not USC at all. It's two things. Because some people things. might be thinking that they know you went to SC. They know you studied English. You know, they know you read. I got all the cliff, put it this way. I you're supposed the to books, get. I got the, all the cliff notes. <laughs> I was such a strong writer because in high school, they taught me how to write. Sam Reno is one of the best awesome. high schools. Yeah, yeah. I love good public schools. Like Jeremy yeah. and I both went to a very strong public oh, yeah. school, Chatfield High School. Yeah. yeah. It was very yeah. strong ba back then. I don't know about now. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. but it was trial and error. I didn't know what I was doing. So I've innovated certain writing techniques that one thing I do, if lyricists have impacted me more than writers, I love mm -hmm. music. I love lyricists. So I want to know, does my writing sing? It's like a score. So sometimes I'll put parentheses with around a sentence. And I say, that's a placeholder. It's as best of an idea as I can come up with in that moment. It's a placeholder. When you're writing, you're going to have a lot of placeholders. That's really that's cool. As, that's, that's really good. As good as it's going to be for right now, we'll come back to it. We'll flush it out. You There's have a lot there. of patience with yourself. I mean, you have a tremendous amount. 
you seem to get stuff that about this process that that allows the the thing to to come out and were you always was it your sickness that gave you the patience for the writing so process some people would think i'm the least patient person too in other aspects it's great i would say um you're in love with the process i can tell you i mean just yeah, the way you described it. it you were like yeah i'm a, i'm on the road at 4 45 in the morning and i go to this other part of town if you didn't know the west side santa monica that's the swanky areas yeah. there's still a lot of homeless but yeah but, but yeah. you know it's it's blocks from the beach what less than two blocks from the beach yeah. Yeah. parts of it and and you want to be in that creative crowd because i can see why the pasadena crowd would get but a, but if i freshening up you know? i thought about this if i live there I'll in my car and drive to pasadena there's something about being away from where you sleep and your and your life uh-huh. And not being so far away. When I've tried to go to a hotel, maybe because I'm an extrovert and I'm in isolation, I'm like, I want to shoot myself, right? Um, I'm like, <laughs> not be really, a little right? bit. Of, not really, not really. Okay, no. just be careful. Um, no, okay. no, 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 please, no. I just eat a little more if I'm depressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but being a little bit away from where you live, because when if you stay where you live, it's too isolating you know, oh, I got to fix the water heater or, oh yeah, we have to get a new cable box. Like to, yes. to find the stillness, Yes. to find that stillness, you have to just, even if it's just going to a coffee shop. So you've, there's something to removing yourself. And if it's not working, if you're, let's say you're at a location, a coffee shop or someplace and it's not flowing, one of the biggest tricks, get up and go to a new coffee shop. Changing mm-hmm. locations there's just a freshness to it and you sit down and it helps you enter it. It's all about entering the story. And yeah, you have to be outside of, uh, problem solving mode. You yeah, can't be thinking yeah. about what needs to be fixed or whatever. That's um, another day, but that's does another this gift, but does this work equally well for introverts though? Because you're an extrovert and you get your energy from being around people. And well, the part that the part that works from the extroverts that I've spoken to, okay, are is getting out because an extrovert needs to leave the bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. An extrovert could be completely happy in their where they live, and the whole world going by. Mm-hmm. So maybe you go to another place where you have a little bit more privacy, like a library, renting one of those for free. They like you sign up for one of those rooms in a lot of these public libraries now. Maybe you do that. So you go to another place that's a little isolating, not a coffee shop, but you've got to get up. You've got to throw water on your face. You've got to brush your teeth and you need to get the heck out of your house. And I'm telling you, if you're, if you got a chronic illness or if you're going through a divorce or, you know, you're going over the falls in life. Every morning I was sick. I had a little bit of energy in the morning, even when I was bedridden. And I made sure I at least went outside for a breath of air. Absolutely. You've got to get up and get out. Even if you turn around and come right back in. What time do you go to bed? Do you fall asleep naturally really early? Naturally. Well, I'm I'm an earlier person. So you're like a farmer? Yeah. You're like a farmer, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Do you need an time. alarm clock? Do you know? No. Wow. I'll set one if I'm so lucky. My dad kind of taught me that. He's like, if you put your mind to it, 
and you set the alarm clock, you'll always wake up two minutes before it goes off. God is my witness. That's the truth. I always wake up two minutes before the alarm clock goes off. Are, are your parents like this too? Or yeah, is it, we're early, per, we're early birds. We're list makers. We're always on time. We're always early actually, yep. Yep. you know, you know, I was a little, I did some acting when I was younger. It's always like, don't miss your mark, be in the wings, ready to hit your mark. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting, the human behind the book to me, that's that the, and not only the human, but the writer, the, the process, what do you do for spiritual nour- nourishment? Do you do a Bible study every day or do you go into a church? Um, do you, yeah, like I, go, one- I go, I go into churches a lot and there's a church, mm-hmm. uh, St. Monica's over there that it's just open at six. And I go in there and it's just so beautiful. You smell the ocean water a couple blocks away. And sometimes you're sitting there with homeless people, but like, I love being in a sacred place. It's called St. Monica's and it's in Santa yeah. Monica. Yeah. It's a Catholic church and it's just beautiful. Um, it's just beautiful. It's just a sacred spot. It's, it's, uh, on California street. I believe that's in California. It's right by Montana. Um, but I have a conversation with God all day long. Sometimes I'll officially sit down and read a scripture. I get a scripture a day. I'll, you know, I'll do the official stuff, but again, the appeal of it all is the incarnation to me. And I just have this ongoing conversation with God. I kind of hear, and sometimes it's a nudge and I nod and it's a connection. I don't look at God as like in LA, especially, but the whole world right now is transactional. Mm -hmm. I don't approach God in a transactional way. Mm. I just like to be with him. Like I would see with you or Jeremy. That's huge. What you just said. You don't pr- approach God in a transactional, transactional way. way. Yeah. Like you yeah. want something and I'm going to, I promise you, I'm going to give this. Yeah. Like it's a yeah. deal. Like, like a, it's a deal. Like, like it's, it's a, deal. a deal. And it, we're negotiating terms and because I know better, I know what I want because I know what I need. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all knowing. You're right? wrapping but, your hand around what you want. Yeah. And God, sometimes yeah. it's like pulling your hand like a little kid. You know, yeah, like, like okay, no, you can't have that. That's not good for you. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Or even if it's something you'd enjoy, it's not going to fill you up. It's not mm. gonna. It's not going to be living water. You know. So, I approach God the same way I approach my time with my mom or Jeremy or the significant people in my life or this conversation. Just be with each other. Good Being things happen when you're just with each other. Just be with each other. You know, there's a time to speak into people's lives. There's a time to, you know, but you will have earned the equity. You will have earned the right to speak into someone's life. You know, Jeremy spoke into my life, sort of like Job's friends, finally. But the last of Job's friends was Elihu. And he just sat with Job. He just sat with him. And so when he finally spoke up, Job listened. It had an impact. Jeremy was like that. He would just, and hopefully I was respectful enough that I wasn't just sitting there complaining constantly. Oh, why me? Right. But the, some of the biggest prayers, the most sincere prayers I've prayed are with a glance, a look, a stare, overwhelming. There are no words sometimes when we go through things in life. Sometimes there are no words. 
and you feel like God, I think we all feel this way. I think yeah. even the, the fake people in the Southern California area, we, yeah, you and I, it's in the water. We know what, when we see it, it, I don't really like the feeling of it around me, but it's like, okay, well, here I am in California. <laughs> I kind of laugh at it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good way. It's that's so, a good response. It's so ridiculous. I, should, I should be like that. Yeah. I'm like, how big can her But even get? they <laughs> know, even they know, we all do that God appreciates sincerity. And that's, that's the there are these telltale signs of true spirituality that we all know we all know it when we see it we all hunger for it even if we run away from it and that's that's a bizarre part of our human condition i yeah. still trying to wrap my mind around i think it's well, so cool you're using rejection fiction, yeah. yeah and rejection see you got to bring up the rejection piece okay we're afraid that our sincerity is going to be rejected Ooh. whether it's the sincerity on the written page and something we're writing, it's not going to be good enough. It's going to be rejected. I'm going to share yes. my heart. Ooh, so I better good. sound like Hemingway or whoever else. We're, we're afraid that our, the essence of who we are is going to be rejected. And you cannot have a conversation about rejection unless you first have a conversation about acceptance. And God accepts you. You were created in, in his image. He will get you to where you need to be, the sanctification. But there's, it's not like a carrot on a stick. You do this, and then I'm going to love you. Then I'm going to accept you. He accepts you. He created you. He likes you. He loves you. Now we need to put down the things that are not a God, that are not a good for us or others. But without that acceptance, it's no wonder that people spend as much time looking at porn or drinking or doing drugs, medicating themselves and numbing themselves. Yeah. None of that stuff brings life. It doesn't bring relationship or real pleasure or real connection. Right. But many of those people don't really think if they presented their real self to God or to someone else that they'd be accepted. Mm-hmm. There has to be some kind of mask like that child star. There has to be some kind of a, you know. Speaking of masks, how did you guys handle the, the last two years of this shutdown and everything? Was that really tough? No, <laughs> not at all. I had spent seven years in and you're, out, of, you're an extrovert. Years in out of bed. I know, but I was so isolated those years when I was sick. I'm like, how does this seem familiar? Did you have any panic about, oh, I'm going to get re-sick, uh, this no. crazy thing? Okay. No. You just no. had a piece I about did. it? I had a piece. I said, I have something to offer. Let me help everybody who's panicking now. I've been through this before. It's like, you know, it, I was at Disneyland last week with my godson, and we went on this really scary ride, Tower of Terror, Gal- Gardens of the Galaxy, and he is terrified. I just looked at Evan, I'm like, I've been through this. I'm going to hold your hand. This is what's going to happen. Uh, it's going to be a few moments of scary and then we're cool and you're going to love it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been through it. I will say that the challenge was my mom, thank God, is fully healthy now. Perfect. But she got really sick last year. Mm. And we, I was, because of the nomination, doing interviews and all this stuff. And it was three hospitals. 
And at one point she was even, she had these tubes coming out of her kidneys and I had to change the bags on my, I didn't sleep for eight weeks at one point last year, eight weeks in a row. I was up all night changing these bags and with her during the day. And I only say that to, in the middle of COVID, right? To say uh, some of the best memories of my life. I remember laughing with my mom, learning stories about the family. I'd run into the bathroom at Cedar sinai Hospital to do a radio interview, praying somebody doesn't flush while I'm on the interview, going back to the, you know, wow, you know, bedroom with the doctors. And we figured it all out. And she ended up with surgery, three hospitals, and she's healthy as anything right now. Wow. But navigating all that with the COVID protocols would have been a yeah. nightmare. Yeah, we had to pick one family member to be with her. I could only be there certain hours, but I was the first in line, last to leave. Did you have to wear a space space suit or whatever? No, you just had to wear the mask. Okay, uh, that's not too bad. Of the three hospitals, they all had different protocols. Gotcha. And, uh, but I knew I wasn't the only one going through that. The whole world was going through that. Yep, that's right. And so you can't just say, oh, something bad's happening. You got to say, I have a faith that God has something for me every day, some person to meet, some lesson to learn, some connection to make. And it, maybe it's for the other person. Maybe it's for some purpose off both our radars, but I walk through life with that faith, whether I'm successful or not, whether I make money or I don't got a penny, that, that God's got something for me. There's some gold there. And is there ever is there ever a time your head hits the pillow at night and you feel like that didn't happen? Not really. There are times my head hits the pillow because it may just be a conversation with the person at Trader Joe's when I was checking out just a moment, you know, or a barista. Sometimes it's so subtle and quick, but there are moments okay. when my head hits the pillow and I'm overwhelmed and I'm like, how am I going to pull this all together? How mm-hmm. is this... You know, I'm 53. I'm single. I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I mean, I have you, don't look, you don't look 53. Thank you. I'll take it. I think God knew I was going to be sick for a long period of time and, and all that. And uh, uh, that's very cool. When I was sick, that's when everyone was kind of advancing in their life. Mm-hmm. And then I spent all these years on the road with the book. I'm happy. Maybe some of that stuff will still happen for me. Maybe not. Yeah. I'm cool with it all. But it's not that my life is perfect because I have a popular book. It's that I know God is good. And uh, um, I just declined a call from Jeremy Rivera. You know, (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't know I'm doing this. I'll tell him that. So um, that's awesome. So much, Lucas. So much. And uh, You've, you've given us a lot to think about and a lot to process. It's not just thinking. It's just it's a lot of soul stuff. It's stuff to settle in our souls about acceptance, rejection, using fiction to get at that. I think fiction might be one of the best ways to get at that. Yeah. Those, those topics. Cause yeah. you can write about it. You can, here's a treatise, you know, on it and maybe people will read it yeah. and the thinkers will maybe take away something, but the feelers out there, I think the, you know, the, the Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Intuition. Yeah. Like I feel like. NFs. Yeah. Are you an NF? Yeah. Oh yeah. I could <laughs> look, look at a piece of cheesecake and gain a pound. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, gotcha. I'm so intuitive that 
Uh, ah, okay. You know, I don't measure it and go, this is the weight and the temperature. And the, I'm like, I look at it, I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's that's a gift though. And so I'm really excited that you're working on the second one and that I'm really excited to see what comes out of that. And it was really nice to hear about your writing process. We appreciate you saying yeah. that. Saying about yeah, any other questions you have, feel free to reach out. because uh, We're going to link your your website on great. the page and uh, we'll send Perfect. people over to you. Thanks for coming Perfect. on, Cliff. Hey, pleasure. Thank you so much.